Short story writer and literary critic Lionel Trilling warned in 1958 of the moral difficulty in interpreting a book with such an eloquent and self-deceiving and unreliable narrator. Trilling said, We find ourselves the more shocked when we realize that, in the course of reading the novel, we have come virtually to condone the violation it presents. We have been seduced into conniving in the violation because we have permitted our fantasies to accept what we know to be revolting. The same year, author Dorothy Parker described the novel as the engrossing, anguished story of a man, a man of taste and culture, who can love only little girls and the titular Lolita as a dreadful little creature, selfish, hard, vulgar, and foul-tempered. In 1959, novelist Robertson Davies wrote that the theme of Lolita is not the corruption of an innocent child by a cunning adult, but the exploitation of a weak adult by a corrupt child. This is no pretty theme, but it is one with which social workers, magistrates, and psychiatrists are familiar. Whatever your stance and opinion about the novel, there is no denying its massive impact the controversy surrounding it and how impressive of a masterpiece it truly is. Welcome to House of Words, a podcast about writers, authors, and those who push the boundaries. I am your host, Jason Nemoa Hardin, and on this episode, we explore Vladimir Nabokov's most controversial novel, Lolita. Why did I write Lolita? Why did I write any of my books after all? For the sake of the pleasure, for the sake of the difficulty. See, I have no social purpose, no moral message. I'm not a messenger. I have no general ideas to exploit. I'm not a general, but I like composing or riddles. I like finding elegant solutions to my riddles, to the riddles I have composed myself." End quote. In 1940, by then having lived in Russia, Germany, and Paris, Vladimir Nabokov and his wife Vera, whom was his most important literary partner, moved to America with their son, Dmitri. Since Vladimir had been born in high society, it was common practice to learn a number of languages, and in his case, he spoke English, French, and Russian from a young age. Now concerning this, he would comment, My head speaks English. My heart speaks Russian, and my ear speaks French. In the U.S., Nabokov was curator at Harvard University and professor of literature at Cornell University. He has stated that the first inklings of Lolita occurred to him in Paris in 1939. The Enchanter, written in Russian, was a short exploration into the topic. However, Nabokov was not satisfied with it and thought he had destroyed the manuscript before leaving Europe for America. The Enchanter was nevertheless published posthumously in 1986 in English translation. It bears many similarities to Lolita, but also has significant differences. Notably, it takes place in Central Europe instead of in the U.S. Furthermore, the protagonist is unable to consummate his passion with his stepdaughter, leading to his suicide, neither of which are the case in Lolita. 
1926, more than a decade before the Enchanter, the theme of hebephilia, the sexual attraction to teens, was touched on by Vladimir in his short story, A Nursery Tale. Then, in 1928, he wrote the poem Lilith, which depicts a sexually attractive underage girl who seduces the male protagonist just to leave him humiliated in public. It is obvious that the seeds of the idea had been in his mind for a while. A decade later, in 1948, while living in Ithaca in upstate New York, the idea began to plague him once again. The nymphid Lolita had been transformed, and so had the evolution of the story, and with that came a new wave of inspiration. He felt that it had grown in secret, slowly producing the wings and claws of a novel. The book developed slowly, with many interruptions and asides. In the country that was the U.S. at the age of 50 proved much more difficult than taking in experiences and impressions had been in his youth when his receptiveness and retention were at their instinctive best. Nevertheless, he persevered in his mission, only staying at American motels instead of Swiss hotels or English inns, only because he was at the time trying to be an American writer and wanted to experience the same experiences other Americans did. For Nabokov, to write was similar to exposing an undeveloped film, the film in his mind. Before setting pen to paper, he would meticulously set out everything in his thoughts. He would basically think and plan out the whole novel before writing a single word. In his early days, he wrote in longhand, in ink, in exercise books. He would, however, cover his own writing under so many corrections that he would have to start over again with a new draft, then he would do the same thing with that one, over and over. This being his process before he would begin dictating his writings to his wife, who would type it down. Just like he never learned to drive, he never learned to type. During the development of Lolita, however, he had taken up the practice of writing on index cards. He would write on the index cards outside the numerous motels he and his wife stayed in during their travels across the USA, which made it easier for him to convey the traveling in the novel. He used index cards not only to jot down notes of things he wanted to remember, but in a similar fashion as a storyboard for a filmmaker. He used the index cards to be able to rearrange the story with more ease than if it had been written in linear book form. When he had the story more or less down, he would rearrange the pieces in the order he'd concluded. It didn't really matter where he'd started writing the story because the whole plot, the whole story, the whole book was more or less already finished in his mind. He only had to fill the gaps to tie it all together. When he had the first draft of the manuscript complete, he would go back to the beginning, again starting on new index cards, and still, in pencil, do it all over again with changes and edits. He was very proud about the fact that he used the erasers on his pencils quicker than the lead. It is believed that Lolita was the first book that he composed from start to finish exclusively using index cards. Not having interacted with any girls that were Lolita's age and admitting that he didn't know anything about little girls, Nabokov had to invent Lolita from scratch. He took notes on buses, he consulted psychiatric reports on the mental health of young teenage girls, and read teenage magazines. 
Some of the research notes for Lolita have survived, and through these one can see that he was as meticulous and focused on the details of teenage girls as he was with his butterfly classification, which was a passion that brought him to travel the U.S. in search of various variations of butterflies. While writing the book, while reading the newspaper, or what have you, he would once in a while come up with accounts concerning elderly men who'd seduced little girls. He took that to be a simple coincidence as he did not base his protagonist on anyone or any case in particular. Instead of referring to it as life imitating art, he said it was life keeping up with art. He inverted many of the values that he held dearest during the creation of the novel. The main one and the worst of all for him was the tainting of the innocence of a child. Without the love for his wife and son, he wouldn't have been able to invert the emotions that he needed in order to give birth to the novel. However, it was indeed not a very difficult task to find the convincing voice of such a character as Madman and Nympholept, Umbar Umbar. And because of this, he was often overtaken by discouragement as tensions rose between the technical and poetic prose and the ethical issues concerning his main character. It was his wife Vera who saved the manuscript from the backyard incinerator more than once. Nabokov completed Lolita on December 6, 1953, a full five years after starting it and didn't start submitting it to publishers until 1954. It soon proved difficult to find a publisher who understood the piece or was even willing to try to understand what he had written. Because the novel is written in the first person, he was forced to repeat that he was not Umbar Umbar, that he was not a pedophile, and that he did not know much about little girls and female teenagers. As a matter of fact, he had conducted a lot of research to write this book. One reader for a publisher told him that his company might consider publication if he would turn Lolita into a 12-year-old boy and had him seduced by Umber, whom would be a farmer, and the seduction would be better if it took place in a barn. Another publisher told him how the problem was that there were no good people in the book. And yet another publisher told him that if he printed Lolita, both he and Nabokov would go to jail. He didn't let any of that stop him. Due to its subject matter, he intended to publish it under a pseudonym, although the anagrammatic character Vivian Darkbloom would tip off an alert reader. The manuscript was turned down with more or less regret by Viking, Simon & Schuster, New Directions, Farrar, Strauss, and Doubleday. After these refusals and warnings, he finally resorted to publication in France, Via his translator, it reached Maurice Eurydice of Olympia Press. Eurydice knew that it had been rejected by four or five American publishers and felt honored to bring Nabokov's work forth. Olympia Press had already published the first books in English by Samuel Beckett, as well as a few other acknowledged and respected writers, which was the reason that Nabokov wanted his manuscript sent there. He soon felt that he had found the only publisher in the world who understood his book. Lolita was published in September 1955 as a pair of green paperbacks swarming with typographical errors. Although the first printing of 5,000 copies sold out, there were no substantial reviews. 
Eventually, at the very end of 1955, Graham Greene in the London Sunday Times called it one of the three best books of 1955. This statement provoked a response from the London Sunday Express, whose editor John Gordon called Lolita the filthiest book I have ever read and sheer unrestrained pornography. British customs officers were then instructed by the Home Office to seize all copies entering the United Kingdom. In December 1956, France followed suit, and the Minister of the Interior banned Lolita. The ban lasted for two years and would only build up the novel's reputation. And despite the initial trepidation, there was no official response in the U.S., and the first American edition was issued by G.P. Putnam's Sons in August 1958. The book was well into its third printing within days and became the first since Gone with the Wind to sell 100,000 copies in its first three weeks. In 1961, with the massive success of Lolita, Vladimir Nabokov moved permanently to the Palace Hotel in Montreux in Switzerland, where he lived and wrote until his death in 1977. As usual, we will end the episode with a quote from a man who dared to push things to the edge. I would say that of all my books, Lolita has left me with the most pleasurable afterglow perhaps because it is the purest of all, the most abstract and carefully contrived. I am probably responsible for the odd fact that people don't seem to name their daughters Lolita anymore. I have heard of young female poodles being given that name since 1956, but of no human beings." End quote. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and will spread the word about the podcast. Once again, I have been your host, Jason and Moa Harden. We here at House of Words ask that you please consider helping to make this show easier to produce and more frequent by contributing on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash houseofwords or paypal.me slash houseofwordspodcast. Alternatively, you can subscribe and encourage others to subscribe to our YouTube page, House of Words Podcast. Every little bit helps more than you might think. Until next time, keep turning those pages. House of Words is written and produced by Crystal M. Sanchez. Narrated and written by me, Jason Nemore Harden. And music by Creature Nine and Wood. All rights and ownership belong to Crystal M. Sanchez and Jason Nemore Harden.